Read the word of the Lord. The Old Testament passage in 1 Samuel 16, 4 through 13. It reads, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, Do you come peaceably? He said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they came, he looked at Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on, his, on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. A second reading is a New Testament reading in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 through 17. For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who, might, who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we re- once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you bow with me in prayer for the word? Lord, we seek you this morning and we praise you, Lord, with all of our hearts. We thank you, Lord, for gathering us, Lord, your people, for your purpose, for your glory. And Lord, as we look into your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would illuminate the truth that gives us life, the truth that sustains us, Lord, each and every day. Lord, so that we may know your greater purpose and your will and that we may walk in your ways, all for your glory. And we pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. As I was preparing this morning's sermon, I was reminded of a 90s film called The Usual Suspects. And in this film, the director does a great job of kind of deviating the viewers from actually knowing who the the actual criminal, right? Who the actual uh, protagonist is. And so the whole movie, you're thinking the protagonist or this, this villain, this bad guy is someone else. And it's only until the very last scene that you find out that the protagonist, this villain, is actually the person that, that you would have not expected, right? It's the least expected person in the movie turns out to be the protagonist. And as I was preparing today's sermon, I thought that today's sermon is like that movie in that 
sometimes we read scripture and we go into reading God's word with kind of preconceptions, some biases, and it's not actually correct, right? Uh, God reveals things to us that we say, wow, I would have never understood it that way or I'd have never uh, learned it that way. And the same way as the movie, today's text also teaches us, I think, that we might not always see things correctly because we don't always come into reading God's word the way that we should. And so uh, just a confession that as I was preparing the sermon, I did the same thing. I think today's uh, Old Testament story or passage is very familiar to us. It was very familiar to me. And growing up, I always had this preconception because it's always taught to me in a certain way. And it wasn't until this, th- these previous weeks where I was really digging into the scripture and looking at the scripture that I thought, man, I have this all backwards. I, you know, I, okay, so let me go through it with you and then you'll, I hope to take you on the journey that, that I went through as I was preparing the scripture. So the Old Testament passage today in 1 Samuel 16 goes through uh, this scene, this story where the Lord tells Samuel that he has rejected Saul as king. And so he has chosen a new king, one that he will anoint. And so he sends Samuel to Bethlehem. And he says, I'm going to send you to this guy named Jesse. You probably don't really know who he is, but I know who he is. And he has a bunch of sons. And you're going to anoint one of his sons as the next king. And this, this passage takes us through Samuel and his journey of going to Bethlehem and choosing the next king. And I think that most people would agree that the crux of this story lies in verse 7, which says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And it's through this lens, this commentary, that Samuel interprets what he's supposed to do. Since the Lord looks on the heart rather than the outward appearance, he does not choose Eliab, who ironically seems the most like Saul, who is the king. Even after uh, seeing Eliab, Samuel, he immediately thinks, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. He said, this is the guy. He's just like Saul. But we have to remember, verse 7, the Lord does not look on the outward appearance, he looks on the heart. And so Abinadab and Shammah and all of these sons pass before Samuel and the Lord says, none of these are the anointed. And almost in a climactic reveal, right, like in, like in, the, in, the, in this movie, Samuel says, are these all your sons? You don't have any more boys? And Jesse says, well, actually, there is one more son. But he's out in the field. He's tending to the sheep. Yeah, he, you know, you don't want to. He, he's not the, the anointed, surely. And Samuel says, bring him here. And the end of the story, we see Samuel anointing David. So what is the moral of the story? What's the lesson that we're supposed to learn here? Well, I'm sure, traditionally, you have, as I have, learned that the moral of the story is that we shouldn't be like Eliab. We shouldn't be tall and handsome and good-looking, right? Because, in fact, the Lord looks on the heart. So you just need to love the Lord, and you need to be good. You have to be a good person. You have to read your Bible. You have to do all the things that the Lord loves. And then he will choose you, and he will use you just like he used David. And so it's okay if you are 
not as aesthetically pleasing as others. It's okay if you're short or weak, because after all, those are the people that God loves to use. And so that's the moral of the story. Amen? And let's pray. <laughs> Is really actually what I thought it was as I was preparing the sermon. It wasn't until I actually started to really look into verse 7 and I started asking questions. Questions like, well, if it really means that God chose David because of what was in his heart, wouldn't he not have chosen David as the king? After all, when God looks into the heart of a man or a woman, when he looks into my heart, what, what would he see? I don't think he would see goodness. I don't think he would see someone who really seeks the heart of God. I think he would see a sinner. He would see someone that fails in every aspect of his standard or his measure of having a heart for God. And then you come to wonder, well, wasn't David just like me? Wasn't David a man just like us? Wasn't he just as a sinner as I was? So then what makes David different from me? Why did God say, well, David is a man after my own heart when he's just a sinner like me? And so then I came into this dilemma, this, this great issue of what am I going to preach? <laughs> am I going to preach just be a good person and then God will love you and he'll choose you and then he'll use you? Or do I preach, well, we're all sinners, and so he's not going to choose any of us. What do I do? And the answer is yes and no. And that probably doesn't make sense right now, but hopefully by the end of the sermon it will. It is true that God uses the weak. It is true that he uses the poor. It is true that he uses those who are the unlikeliest, the least, so that he will receive all the glory, so that, just as Paul proclaims, that no one will boast in themselves, but they will only boast in the Lord. But I think this passage is hinting and teaching us something even greater, even deeper than that. We read in, in Sam, 1 Samuel that David was a man after God's own heart. We read in the Psalms his great desire, right? his fierce passion to love God with all of his heart. And David is considered the greatest king in all of Israel throughout all the, the history of the kings. So then it makes sense when someone says, be like David and God will love you. Be like David and God will use you. But if we interpret the passage this way, then we face the issue of saying, then does God choose me? Does God love me and does God use me because of who I am? Because I have a good heart? Because I choose to read the Bible? Does he love me and hate someone else because of what I do and who I am? That's the issue here. And we can never, we can never interpret the, the, this scripture or the Bible or scripture in general to say that. Because we all know that God does not choose us based on our merit. He chooses us based on his own grace and love. And so, in fact, if God rejected Saul for disobeying him and committing these sins, 
then shouldn't he have also rejected David? Because we all know, I'm sure you all read the stories, David committed some pretty bad sins. So why didn't God reject David? Now I know this is a bit of a deviation. I hope it's as shocking to you as it was to me when I was going through this. We must ask, when God looks into the heart of a man or a woman, what does he see? So then how can we interpret this passage? I want to examine just a few things. This text is about seeing God leads Samuel and he says, I'm going to lead you and you're not going to be able to see it now, but I see it. When Samuel sees Eliab, he says, man, I see this son and it seems to me that he should be the next king. And God says, you're not seeing what I see. The question is, what is God seeing? It's ironic because Samuel was a prophet. He was supposed to know what God saw. But even Samuel didn't understand what God was doing. The question is, what is the standard for God's seeing? What is the standard for his choosing? What is the measure for him electing? Well, in verse 7, we see the preposition on, on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. And so we have to ask, who Or what is the object? Whose heart? David's heart? Samuel's heart? God's heart? If we change the object to be God instead of man, instead of David, instead of somebody else, then we can change the preposition correctly to say the Lord looks according to the heart. According to whose heart? David's heart, according to God's heart. Not only is this a grammatical possibility, but if we translate verse 7 this way, then all of a sudden there are so many inconsistencies that start to align when we think about God didn't choose David according to his heart. He chose according to his own heart, his own will. If we go back to verse 1 in chapter 16, when God is leading Samuel to go to Bethlehem to meet Jesse, He says, I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. God says to Samuel that he has provided himself for himself the next king of Israel. So then it would become an issue, right? It would be almost contradictory if God said to Samuel, I have chosen in my own accord and my own will, who will be the next king? And then in the further verses proceeding that, he says, well, actually, I chose David because I saw David, and man, man, what a guy he was. And so he changed my mind. You know, I had a will, but you know what? David's such a good guy. He has a heart after my own that I'm gonna choose David. Doesn't make sense. It would also make sense then if we interpreted verse seven this way. That although David was the young, unassuming shepherd boy, the author, he distinctly points out that David was ruddy, had beautiful eyes, and was handsome. If I'm the author and I'm trying to make a point that God does not look at the outer appearance, 
But David is ruddy, man. He's like a man. He has beautiful eyes and he's handsome. Like, oops. I don't think that would be a great point to make. But the author is not saying that God only loves to use ugly people. That's not the point of the passage. When we interpret verse 7 as God chooses according to his own heart, his own will, we see that it doesn't matter if you're good-looking or not good-looking or if you're tall or you're short. He doesn't look at the outward appearance, both here or there, both this way or that way, because he doesn't choose according to the appearance. That's not his standard. His own measure is his own heart. He chooses according to his own will. And this is why the Lord made sure that even before Samuel saw David, this, he, he told Samuel, this is the standard. Because if I were Samuel and the Lord said to me, don't look at Eliab, don't look at the height of his stature, don't look at his outer appearance because I look on the heart. And then I saw David and, and he's handsome and he's good looking and you know, he has all of the, the features of, of you know, someone who's, who's just a, a good looking person. As Samuel, I would say, God, what are, what are you talking? Didn't you just say that you don't choose according to the outward appearance? But that's not what the Lord was telling Samuel. The Lord was telling Samuel that even before he saw Samuel, I'm not choosing David because of his appearance. I'm not choosing David even because of who he is. He says, I'm choosing David because of who I am because it is my will, because of my heart, because I have a purpose. What was God's purpose in choosing David? Was his purpose to just show us that, hey, you know, you can be this person or that person, and the moral of the story is, hey, you know what, no matter what your shortcomings are, God can use you? Yes, I think that is a valuable truth, but I think what God is teaching Samuel here is, I choose according to my own heart because it's my purpose. And you can't see that purpose right now. But I have a purpose that is greater than you or even Jesse or even David. What was God's purpose? That a thousand years later, the Messiah, the Christ, Jesus, would come from the line of Saul come from the line of David. Not Eliab, not Abinadab, not Shammah, not any of the other sons, but that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And that is the heart of the Lord. That is the, the purpose of the Lord. That I, I'm sure Samuel was really smart, right? And he was a prophet and everything. But I bet you Samuel didn't see that one coming, right? He, didn't, he probably didn't know a thousand years from now. So the interpretation of verse 7 is so important. And it's further supported by David's own prayer, his own confession in 2 Samuel 7. He's gotten rid of all these pesky Philistines. He's anointed the king of Israel. He's hailed as a great king. He's brought the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem. But in his confession, this is what he says. Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord God. You have spoken also of your servant's house for a great while to come. And this is instruction for mankind, O Lord. This is the lesson for mankind, David says. What is the lesson? 
What more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord, because of your promise and according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. David says, this is the lesson. You know my heart, but it's because of your purpose and according to your will, your heart, that you have brought all of this about. The astonishing thing here, here's the shocker. The word that David uses here, lebab, the word for heart, is the same root word that is used in today's passage in verse 7. And it's the same word, the root word, that's used when God reveals that he is choosing a man after his own heart in 1 Samuel 13, 14. See, I think traditionally we have interpreted this heart to be David's heart. Yet in 2 Samuel here, David says that this heart is not his heart, it's God's heart. So then, if we interpret how David prays in 2 Samuel to 1 Samuel 13, 14, then it should read like this. The Lord has sought out a man, not after his heart, but the Lord has sought out a man according to his own heart. According to God's heart, he has chosen a man. As an aside, I was so excited as I was going through the scripture. And I was like, oh my goodness, this is so good. I can't wait to preach all this and and, and share this, right? And I thought, man, I'm going to write a thesis on this. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, like, you know, I was just all these things. Uh, Unfortunately, I found Ecclesiastes 1.9 to be very true as I researched and to see if anybody else had ever thought of this before. And um, it is true that there is nothing new under the sun. (laughs) So... I can't take any credit for this. But anyway, that being said, in light of this information, it makes clear sense why God chose David over Saul. It wasn't because Saul was worse than David. It wasn't because David was better than Saul. God chose David according to his own purpose, his own heart. God is always revealing to his people that his ways are not our ways. And here's where the yes and the no come in. Yes, God uses a weak so that he can receive glory. Yes, he uses, you know, the unlikeliest, but it's not because he only likes to choose those people. He, his ways are not our ways in that he can choose whoever he wants for his glory. And so God breaks all of the biases and the preconceptions that we make. He breaks the traditions, customs, and even the culture that we build up around us to suit our ways. Well, well, God probably has to work in this way, right? So it's neither this or that. Are you guys following? It's neither, oh, I have to be so weak and so humble and so poor because that's the only way God will use me. Nor is it, oh, I gotta be the best, I have to be the smartest, I have to get all the best grades and, and be highly esteemed and then God will use me. It's neither or. It's according to his own heart. So then, does that mean that God chooses David because he just wants to prove a point that I can just use whoever I want? Did God choose David because of his heart? No. God chose David not because he was the perfect king, 
But David was the perfect king because God chose him. We love to put emphasis on the person. David was great. He had the right heart or the right characteristics. That's why God made him the king. Moses, you know, oh, he had the right qualities. That's why he was the only man that could, you know, see God face to face. We think about Joseph. Oh, you know, he was so humble and in spirit, and that's why God used him. But we are reminded today that God does not choose based on our qualities and characteristics. He didn't choose us because we had something that others didn't. He chooses us based on his own heart, his own grace, and his mercy for us. And that is why it is yes and no. God does not look at the outer appearance. But that doesn't mean that you can't be good looking or you can't be this or that. David was young, but Abraham was old. Moses had a a stutter, but Joshua didn't. It's not a matter of one or the other. It's a matter of God's own heart. So does that mean that we just don't do anything because God is just going to do whatever he wants to do? We know that that's not the case. We love God, we seek him, and we give our entire hearts to him. We love him with all of our heart because it's a reflection of that grace and that mercy and the faith that he's given us. We are not chosen because of that. But once we are chosen, we do seek God with all of our hearts because he has chosen us. We are compelled even more by his sovereignty, by this truth, because it's not up to us. And I don't know about you, but that, that just takes a great weight off of my back, my shoulders. Sometimes I think we choose to follow God and put him in the, a, a cube, a box, and say, well, God will use me if I do this. God will use me or choose me or do this if I do this. Saul said, I'm not worthy to be king, right? It's it's so funny because Saul was great in stature. He was a head above everyone else. But when God chooses him to be the king, he says, I can't do that. For Samuel 9.21, he says, am I not a Benjaminite from the least of the tribes of Israel? And is not my clan the humblest of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why then have you spoken to me in this way? You see, Saul, no matter what kind of great attributes and characteristics he had, he always looked to his weaknesses. He said, "Uh, God's not going to use me because of this. In uh, his commentary, Bill Arnold, he says, since we are not God, we cannot know who will answer his call and who will be effective in his service. This means both that we should be cautious about judging other people and their potential effectiveness in the kingdom of God, and also that we should not question our own abilities and gifts for service. We may feel that we do not have much to offer God, but that would be a superficial evaluation based on our own limited perspective. If God calls, he also empowers. So then, we must 
Seek God. Seek his heart, his mind, and his desires to follow him and to live according to his will and his purpose. But we must never forget that that is not the condition in which he has chosen us. Samuel and Jesse, they assumed things for God because they didn't see the way God sees. When we align ourselves to this gospel, to the grace of God, I think that's when we start to see the things that God sees. I think we begin to read our scripture, we begin to pray, and we begin to see the things that God sees. Paul reminds us in Romans 12 too, do not be conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And so since God is sovereign, we are motivated even more to seek his heart. As we discuss the mysterious ways in which God works, we come back. We have to come back to Bethlehem where God sent Samuel to anoint David. But this time we meet a teenage girl who is unknown to the world, who gives birth to the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ. Jesus, Isaiah says, had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. I think a lot of people miss this man of sorrows because we're not seeing as God sees. And since we are not God, we will never be able to see the complete story until we're in heaven. But for the one who truly loves God, the one who has truly been regenerated, this does not discourage. But we become more passionate and more confident in our daily living. Since we cannot know all the things of God and his mysterious and grand purpose, we are spurred even more diligently to seek him. We must seek him and his heart daily so that we can bring him glory according to his heart, according to his will. And we lay before God our biases, we lay before him our weaknesses, or even our strengths, and we ask the Spirit to lead us and use us according not to my heart, but according to his heart and according to his will. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness in electing us and choosing us, not based on our merit, not based on who I am or, or my heart. But we thank you, Lord, that you are a God of grace and mercy who chooses according to your own heart and purpose. So, Lord, we pray that it is through the gospel lens that we will see our lives and see the world and live according to your purpose for your glory. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.